Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Wednesday, October 23rd. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, actor, comedian, and quite frankly, dear friend of the program, Pat Whalen is back. Activist Levante Stewart returns, and we welcome to our brand new studio, Ben, clean it up in there, third congressional Democratic candidate, Marie Newman. And now your host, not an actor, comedian, activist, or candidate. Oh, he's kind of an activist, but not a candidate. Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Slush Fun Wednesday. And here's why. Got a tweet this morning. Do you tweet me? Whoa. A tweet. I made it. From Gregory Pratt. And you uh, saw it. <laughs> that's that's the most important, well, the craziest thing. Ace uh, reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Well, okay, I'd have to explain. Uh, yeah, I'm not really big on uh, Twitter, as everybody knows. But my dear friend Pat Whalen, who'll be in the show, uh, sent it to me. He texted me. So technically it was a, a text, which I'm really good at. You know, I've mastered the art of texting. Mm. Did you know that? You're lying. Uh, and anyway, uh, Gregory Pratt, it was so nice of him to do this. It was in the middle of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's budget speech in the part where she got to the tiffs. And he, write, he wrote, Mayor Lori Lightfoot with an applause line seemingly aimed at the Benny J show. Uh, quote, the days of the tiff slush fund are over. D will be playing that a little later. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's little line about tiffs. And the crowd cheered. All right. Woo. <laughs> Everybody. Nobody likes the tiff a slush fund, I guess. Anyway, uh, yesterday. Indeed, folks, there's a teacher strikeout. People, uh, teachers are on the streets of Chicago uh, trying to negotiate a contract with Lori Lightfoot's uh, negotiators. But still, got to have a budget, D. So it was uh, Lori Lightfoot broke away from the teacher strike to uh, present her budget to the Chicago City Council. She gave a budget speech. And in that budget speech, she promised, among other things, to reform the whole budget process by reforming the TIFs. Or as she put it, uh, let's see, quote, the uh, she was changing the tax increment financing program, or what people refer to as TIF. I love that part. That may be my favorite line in the whole speech. Uh, the tax increment financing program, or what people refer to as TIF. That's like saying uh, she. I am changing the National Basketball Association, which some people refer to as the NBA. The reality is, folk, more people know it as the TIF than mo know it as the Tax Increment Financing Program. And everybody knows what TIF stands for in the city of Chicago. It T-I-F stands for S-C-A-M. It is a scam. You know it. I know it. I've been telling you about it for years and years and years. And at the heart of it, it's a slush fund. How is it a slush fund? Well, I'll tell you how it's a slush fund. You create the slush fund when you raise more property tax dollars for the TIFs 
then you have projects to fund. That means there's more money coming in than you spend. Hence, slush. It's free money. Not free as in you didn't pay it, because of course you pay it in terms of higher property taxes, but it's free money for the mayor to spend as she wants. Hence, a slush fund. All right. Now, uh, but uh, many people object to the slush fund for years and years. I've objected to the slush fund, but I'm starting to change my mind on that. And we'll get into that later uh, in the show. But anyway, mayors are free to dip into it whenever they want for whatever they want. Uh, hence, it's a slush fund. For instance, in her budget speech, Mayor Lightfoot says she's going to spend 30 million or so in TIF dollars to help fill the budget gap. That's what she'll use from this year's slush fund to fill the budget deficit. Think about that. She needs 30 or so million dollars to help fill the gap. She doesn't want to raise taxes any more than she's already done. So I know what she, I know. She figures to herself, I know what I'll do. I'll just dip in to the TIF fund and find $30 million or so to help fill the budget gap. Now, here's the irony of irony, folks. In the speech in which she is promising to get rid of the slush fund, she is dipping into the slush fund to help balance the budget. So on one hand, she's getting applause for getting rid of the slush fund, and on the other hand, she's getting applause for dipping into the slush fund. Everybody in Chicago, we love everything. We'll root for the slush fund to get to be eradicated, and we'll be root, rooting for the slush fund to be used. How about that in the city of Chicago? We can do two things. What do they always say? We can walk and chew gum. Anyway, listen, folks, here's the deal. The slush fund is key to funding Chicago government. I've said this for a while now. People don't seem to be upset that they're paying more in taxes to finance the property uh, tax TIF slush fund. They don't seem to object to it. They're, they don't seem to aware that they're even paying more in property taxes for it. If you were, if Mayor Lightfoot were to come out and tell the city council that she was raising the property tax rates uh, to create thirty million dollars or thirty-four million dollars in money to help uh, balance the budget, people would be mad. You're raising our taxes. But if she just takes 30 or so million or 34 million or whatever it is out of the old TIF slush fund, which you've already contributed through to through your higher taxes, which you don't even know you're paying, everybody applauds. The same mayor who's bragging about getting rid of the slush fund is using the slush fund. I'll tell you this about Lori Lightfoot. She may be a first-term rookie mayor, but she knows how to play the game. We got a great show today, everybody. Patrick Whaley, good friend of the show, will be here. We're talking Trump, Trump, Trump. Yes, it's Wednesday. I know what you're thinking. Where's Monroe? He's on the West Coast. He'll be back next week. So in the meantime, Pat Whaley will be sitting in him, sitting in for him. We'll be talking Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, Pat's. Uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about while we're here in Chicago with our attentions diverted by tiffs, slush funds, budgets, teacher strikes, etc. All hell is breaking loose in Washington uh, with Donald Trump and uh, the impeachment process and some uh, riveting testimony yesterday by William Taylor, a former diplomat, diplomat to Ukraine. So we'll be talking about that and other things. Trump's tweets. Uh, Pat Whalen loves talking about 
Trump's tweets. Uh, so we'll be talking a lot of Trump news. Uh, uh, Levante Stewart will be here, the pride and joy of South Shore. We'll be talking about how the teacher strike is affecting uh, communities like South Shore, uh, how the budget affects communities like South Shore, and plus some of the enter- enterprising programs uh, Levante Stewart is championing for South Shore. Uh, and then uh, at 2.30, Marie Newman will be here, and she is the uh, congressional candidate in the 3rd Congressional District running in the primary against Dan Lipinski. You remember she ran back in 2018, came very close to defeating Lipinski. Lipinski, Lipinski, of course, is perhaps the most conservative Democrat in Congress. So it'll be really interesting to hear what Marie Newman has to say about what's going on uh, in Washington with congressional impeachment, et cetera, and so forth. But before we do any of that, the man from Alton, the man they call the doctor, with the news. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I'm Dennis. All of our Chicago political junkies have been waiting for this time to come since August. Come October, I'll address those challenges further in my budget speech. The wait is over. (laughs) That day is today. It's Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's budget address. And yes, he mentioned it earlier. The days of the TIF slush fund are over. And our host, maybe the biggest (laughs) Chicago political junkie on the planet, Ben Jarofsky, has been waiting for about two hours now Uh, to weigh in on this. There's more where that came from on that intro, people. By the way, Mayor Lori Lightfoot will actually be in the same building as us. Is she going to stop by? A little after 2 o'clock. She's making her post-budget address meeting rounds. Is she going to stop? What do you think, Ben? You think she's going to stop by? Well, do you have any more of those uh, crackers that Mark Sims left? No, I ate them all. Well, see, that she won't stop by. How about those lifesavers that Mark Sims left? To be honest, I'm not sure if I should go out to the press room and try to give a live report on my phone or lock the door in our studio after uh, Ben Jarofsky's latest Chicago Reader columns. Uh, We're going to talk more about that budget address, uh, but first, yeah, Lori uh, had some company outside City Hall before her budget address. Chicago teachers. The Chicago Teachers Union strike is on day five, or if uh, you read uh, some of those maybe on Team Lightfoot, day seven. Day seven, right, if you count the weekend, okay, because <laughs> the kids would have been in school on the weekend. Well, technically, Ben, there's like Saturday school. Oh, really? Okay, all right. And what we've been doing here in the last week since the strike started is we just try to play both sides of it here. We only have audio of Lori's budget address, so we'll go to the teachers here earlier this morning. CTU President Jesse Sharkey was outside the teachers' rally as they were going down downtown Chicago wearing a White Sox hat. We learned something new today. Jesse Sharkey, White Sox fan. I did not know that. Yeah, invite him to a game sometime, Ben. You guys uh, can go along. I'm, <laughs> I'm a big Sox fan. I like the Sox. You know, maybe next year they'll be good. Here's Jesse Sharkey from this morning. Last night in negotiations, it became clear that the major movement, which had been happening over the weekend, has slowed down. Right now, the mayor needs to add resources and show the will to settle a contract. We have been told that she's willing to put promises about staffing and class size into writing. Those promises need to be adequate. Right now, the city is saying that they'll add $700,000 to address oversized classes in almost 100 high schools. $700,000 to address overcrowding in 100 high schools. That's $7,000 a school. It does not get us to adequacy. It's not enough. So our message today is that we are bringing our members dressed in red, but also in purple and green and black and, and, and all the other colors that we wear to emphasize the fact that we are not just a union involved in a labor strike. We're also parents, we're members of the community. We represent the interests of the city of Chicago. And the people of the city of Chicago demand funding and resources to go to the services of the city. 
We have to have schools that work for our children. We need a budget which speaks to our priorities, not just the priorities of developers. The mayor is going to give a budget address in a few hours, and it will be a address that talks about shared sacrifice and austerity. Probably should talk about raising our taxes. Probably should talk about cutting our services. That's not acceptable to us. This is the same mayor that gave a green light to a $1.3 billion TIF giveaway, a giveaway to wealthy developers in the quote-unquote blighted Lincoln Park neighborhood of the city. More, uh, more hundreds of millions to give away to the 78. This is not right. If there's a billion dollars for wealthy developers, there needs to be money for our schools to get a contract. There needs to be money to address overcrowded classrooms in some of our poorest schools. There needs to be money to put a nurse and a social worker and other critical support staff in all of our classrooms. We are not giving up this fight until we get what is just and what is right. We have a desire to get back to our classrooms. Um, Jesse Shark, he's starting to sound like a column by Ben Jarosky. Is that you in the crowd <laughs> cheering? <laughs> Woo! Uh, no, they're up too early for me, D. Oh, yeah, they, you that's know, right. You know, they're up at like 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm still snoozing. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, got rock star hours, okay? But uh, listen, here's the deal, folks. Uh, the teachers are asking for the mayor to dedicate money uh, for more nurses and more social workers and more counselors and more librarians. Money's a real deal that the mayor does not want to dedicate. She doesn't want to be contractually obligated uh, to uh, hire these staffers. And uh, so that's where we are right now. And the people in the city of Chicago have to decide, do they want to spend their tax dollars on nurses, social workers, and counselors? Now, a lot of people in the city of Chicago don't want to spend their tax dollars on anything. They feel overtaxed. And uh, so that's that's a uh, obviously an obstacle uh, in the way of the Chicago Teachers Union when they try to win over uh, public support. And so they talk about, uh, you know, more progressive forms of taxes. D. Uh, we've had so many different politicians, so many different progressives, so many different socialists come through this studio, talk about more progressive taxation uh, in the city of Chicago to raise the money we need to pay for like nurses and social workers, etc. There doesn't seem to be any uh, support for that from Lori Lightfoot and her allies in City Hall. It doesn't seem to be even on the agenda. So it seems like we're sort of existing still in the Rahm Mayor Daly worldview where we work with fees and fines, like raising taxes on, let's say, Uber and Lyft driver, on uh, Uber and Lyft tri trips, uh, raising the tax on restaurants, uh, which I think we'll call the Ben tax because I love eating out. Uh, and uh, and then hoping that there'll be money coming in from uh, the sale of reefer, et cetera, and so forth. So uh, we're not heading in the direction of the most progressive form of taxation, the kind of thing that uh, J.B. Pritzker was talking about with his fair tax. So that seems to be like the main sticking point between the teachers and lawyer Lori Lightfoot. Um, Lori Lightfoot is not committing herself to the progressive forms of taxation that progressives want. And that's just the reality that we have to deal with here in the city of Chicago right now. And I'm not quite sure how this teacher strike will get reconciled at this point, D, uh, unless Lori Lightfoot just quietly decides to, one, make a promise to uh, hire teachers without really having the money to hire them and just punt it, which is, by the way, a classic move in the city of Chicago. Would not be surprised if she ultimately does that. Or two, she dips more into the TIF slush fund uh, to pay for teacher uh, to pay for nurses, et cetera, which she might do. She can definitely do that. There's a lot of slush in that fund uh, for her to dip into. So I'm not quite sure how this teacher strike is going to end at this very moment, but it'll be one of those uh, two options on the table. 
Once again, we are at day five of the Chicago teacher strike, and you can always assure that we here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! We stand with the teachers. <laughs> All right, now let's talk about Lori Lightfoot's budget address <laughs> this morning. He's for the teachers, yeah, you know what I mean? Yay for our teachers! I mean, Yay for our teachers! Everybody had bad stuff you, to say about him. He's for the teachers. Did you see him in the crowd uh, outside of Jesse Sharkey? He was wearing a red shirt and a red White Sox hat, okay? Oh. And he was, oh, yeah, Jesse Sharkey. Actually, the first time I ever saw Bruce Rauner, uh, he was on WTTW. There was, um, a, what, what do they call that show? I forget, uh, Chicago Tonight. He was on Chicago Tonight with Jesse Sharkey. This was right after the teacher strike of 2012, and they were debating. I was, uh, He was really out there talking about, you know, that he thought, he was disappointed. He thought he didn't think Mayor Rahm was hard enough on the teachers uh, in the Chicago teacher strike. And uh, he thought that too much money was being spent on the public schools schools and more schools should have been closed and they should get rid of uh, teachers unions and and use our dollars to finance charter schools because charter school teachers know enough to shut up go to work and not go on strike and not join a union and of course so much has changed since 2012 many of the uh, charter schools in the city of Chicago have unionized and some of them are, have gone on strike their teachers are demanding more money and uh, resources just like uh, the regular CTU uh, the regular Chicago public school teachers so the world has changed a little bit since Bruce Rauner and Jesse Sharkey sat down for that great debate at WTTW. All right, I have some audio of uh, today's budget address from our mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Ben, give us your overall thoughts here. I mean, I know you're a TIFF junkie, all right? Set that aside. Aside from the TIFF uh, talk, what was your overall thoughts on the budget address? Oh, it was classic budget address by a mayor of the city of Chicago. I already gave her a shout out for being uh, acting like an old hand. By the way, the buildup tour, so much love for Lori Lightfoot in this town right now. And I have some friends, dear friends of mine who work in the communications team of Lori Lightfoot. Let me just give them a shout out. They don't want, I'm sure they don't want me to say their name, but you guys are doing a masterful job because Lori Lightfoot is getting great press uh, as she heads into the budget uh, session. Or maybe it is as the reporters in town just really dislike teachers and the Chicago Teachers Union, who knows? Uh, but uh, anyway, it was a, a classic budget address. Uh, she did what Mayor, you know, she took a page for Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daly. I think, I don't know, I'm not sure if Mayor Daly did. She said, had somebody uh, in the city council take a bow for doing good services to his community. She talked about how she really cares about bridging the divide between the wealthy neighborhoods and the poor neighborhoods. She talked about uh, having a more, uh, a more, uh, more equitable distribution of city money. Uh, she talked about she talked about mental health patients. Uh, she did not promise to reopen mental health clinics that Mayor Rahm closed, but at least she talked about the mental health needs in the city of Chicago. So, you know, she she said all the right things, Dee, but the reality is, as I said earlier, uh, this city is facing a real a real challenge. How do we finance? If we want to break down the gaps between the wealthy and the poor neighborhoods, if we want to use our resources to fund development in poor neighborhoods or improve public schools in poor neighborhoods or help kids uh, in poor neighborhoods, let's say, who are homeless, uh, if we're going to uh, adequately finance those programs that are needed, it's going to cost money. So how do we raise that money? People in Chicago are feeling overtaxed already. Uh, if we're going to make that commitment that Lori Lightfoot says she wants to make, we're going to have to figure out a progressive way to finance it. 
And that was absent from her speech. So in some ways, it was very similar to Rom. Rom didn't want to head down that path. He didn't want to talk about progressive forms of taxation, but he did want to champion all the things. Because they're all Democrats, D. They all want to sound like, you know, they're Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or even Joe Biden or Barack Obama that they care about poor people. But funding programs that help poor people, I don't know. That's another ball game. So my overall, uh, listen, I'm, a, uh, I'm happy that it's Lori Lightfoot sitting in the fifth floor, not Rahm Emanuel, because in many ways, uh, she's just a more diplomatic person uh, and she's not as obnoxious as Rahm was. But in some ways, I, she picked up a few tricks of the trade from Rahm Emanuel in that speech. Oh, man, it looks like Mayor Ron would like to weigh in. Take a chill pill, man. Oh, sorry, Ron. Okay, well, hold on. Let me drink some water. Oh, get some water. There you mm. go. Any That's, that's you, water? Ron. No kind of Kool-Aid right now? Oh, hold on. Let me, uh, hold on, hold on. Ah, that's some Lori Lightfoot cool. You know, D, she's a masterful politician. Did I tell you that? Uh, oh. She's a brilliant orator. Did I tell you that? Hold awesome. On a little more. Hold on, D. <clears throat> she reformed the TIF program, <laughs> uh, but, uh, the tax increment financing program, which many people refer to as TIF. All right, we're getting to the TIFs in a minute. My God, you have a problem <laughs> when it comes to these TIFs. All right, so let's hear from the, uh, uh, Mayor Lightfoot in the budget. By improving how we collect the debt we are owed, this budget also saves an additional $25 million by moving to a new system that ensures payments are expedited and more companies are brought into compliance. This budget restructures some of our city departments, ensuring taxpayers get the greatest value for their dollars while still receiving the highest quality service. And as we announced earlier this month, this budget reforms our public safety agencies by streamlining the administrative functions of our police, fire, and OEMC departments into a single agency. The new Office of Public Safety Administration, which will immediately save the city $2 million. But these are more than just cost-saving measures. By consolidating these units, we will be putting more than 160 police officers and fire personnel back on the streets where they can do the most good. All right, police. Let's people. I always tell this to Carlos Ramirez Rosa comes in the studio. Remember those debates we've had with him? Uh, Carlos, one of the most progressive, uh, liberal, whatever you want to call it, uh, lefty, uh, alderman of the Chicago City Council. And uh, he would be talking about cutting police or cutting the police budget. I would say, well, you know, I don't know many communities in the city of Chicago that want police cut. Now, there's some issues between about police relations and the black community over the years, absolutely. And the issues of police brutality, absolutely. But by and large, most people in the city of Chicago want more police officers, not less. So when uh, Lori Lightfoot says we're going to put 160 more, I think it was 160 more cops and firefighters. I don't know if she distinguished between cops and firefighters. That will be that will draw applause because the reality is most people in the city of Chicago, you ask them where they want their tax dollars to go, that'd be one thing they want their tax dollars to go to. Uh, no doubt about it. That means more police, police doing work in your neighborhoods and your wards. Likewise, we will be merging the Department of Innovation and Technology with the Department of Fleet and Facility Management to create a new department that manages assets and information. Strengthening the operations of both departments by combining their shared efficiencies, eliminating redundancies, all while reducing costs by approximately one million this coming year. And yet, 
While day-to-day -day operations of our technology infrastructure will be moved into one department, our chief information officer and chief data officer will then be placed in the mayor's office to ensure technology policy is seamlessly incorporated with cutting-edge approaches um, in how government can work more efficiently and in greater partnership with Chicago's world-class tech community. <clears throat> Listen, what she's talking about there is, again, this is classic mayor budget talk. Uh, most people don't know what she's talking about. You know, I'm going to be more efficient. I'm going to streamline. I'm going to take this department and merge it with that department, and then we'll be able to be, save money and have more money. It sounds great. But no, most people do not know what she's talking about, D, you know, and the city council, the aldermen are sitting there nodding their heads going, hmm, uh, can I get a job out of this? Can I, maybe somebody I know can get a job at city hall out of there, not clapping their head. I mean, that is classic mayor uh, rhetoric in a budget speech where, uh, you know, you want to avoid talking about raising taxes. You want to avoid talking about uh, raising fees. So what you do is you accentuate the efficiencies uh, you're making in the whole entire operation of budget. And I've been watching mayors make budgets, make the city more efficient. Going back to Harold Washington, he was making the city more efficient. Eugene Sawyer made it more efficient. Mayor Daly was, oh, every year, mayor for 20-odd years, Mayor Daly was making it more efficient. And then Rahm Roy, oh, Mr. Efficiency himself. So you would think we'd run out of ways to make government more efficient. But nope, somehow or other, despite all these year-after-year's plans to make government more efficient, there's still more deficiencies to eradicate. So I applaud Mayor. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I've heard a lot of budget speeches down through the years. I'm, you know what, D? If you can make but, uh, government more efficient, more power to you, right? So good for her for making government more efficient. All right. And it's the moment Ben has been waiting to riff on ever since he heard the damn thing. Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> And this budget makes key reforms to Chicago's tax increment finance program, or what many people refer to as TIF. This year's additional surplus to the city is $31.4 million. But more than that, my team is undertaking a detailed review to reform TIF and align it more closely with our economic development needs and our values, accountability, and transparency. The days of the TIF slush fund are over. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I'm on board. I believe it too. Man, you yeah. know the funny thing is? The days of the TIF slush fund are over at the very time I'm turning around going, you know what, expand the slush fund. Once again, you know, if one, if the mayor of the city of Chicago goes this way, you know I'm going to go the other way. Uh, you know, I'm kind of good-natured about it, and I'm being a little satirical when I say it, but I'll uh, yeah, that listen. that Kool-Aid cup's half <laughs> oh, empty. Hold on, man. Mm. God, I love that budget speech. Uh, anyway, uh, by the way, but, uh, D, that is my favorite line, though, where she goes, uh, tax increment finan financing, which many people refer to as TIF. You know, like anybody knows it as tax increment financing. Everybody knows it as TIF. T-I-F equals S-C-A-M. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and it's like I said, uh, uh, the National Basketball Association, which many people refer to as the NBA. Whoa, I did not know that. Man, I always thought it was the National Basketball Association. All right, here's the deal, folks. You pay more in your property taxes every year because of a TIF. When a TIF is created, you automatically pay more in 
in property taxes. This is tip 101. Why do you pay more in property taxes? Because when they create a TIF, that district, the property taxpayers in that district, uh, send a certain portion of their property taxes to the TIF fund, that slush fund that we're supposed to eradicate, all right? So when they kick more to the TIF slush fund, you have to pay more to compensate. That's why I call it a tax hike. Now, I've been calling it a tax hike for years and years and years. And guess what? I'm pretty much the only guy in town who calls it a tax hike. You all pay the tax hike, but everybody pretends as though it's not a tax hike. So I decided, D, to raise the white flag. I surrendered. I put it in writing. It's in a reader column. You can go read it. I go, you know what? Mayors, you win. If the people of the city of Chicago are content to pay more in property taxes when they don't realize it's a property tax hike, by sending it to the TIF slush fund, then let's use that as a vehicle to pay our obligations. Let's just turn the entire city into a giant TIF district and use all the extra revenues that people pay to pay off our pension obligations, to hire more police officers, to hire more firefighters, to pay for raises for police and firefighters, and to hire more nurses, social workers, and counselors uh, for our public schools. We'll raise millions and millions of dollars, but since we don't actually recognize it as paying more in money, it'll be like we're not paying more in money. It's amazing how people in Chicago can pay more in property taxes, but not think they're paying more in property taxes if it's going to the TIF. So you know what, D? Here's the flag. I raise it. I raise the white flag. I surrendered. And no sooner do I surrender, the Mayor Lori Lightfoot turns around and says, uh-uh, we're getting rid of the TIF slush I can't win in this town, D. Yeah, you can't. Okay. <laughs> now we have more work to do. Oh, yes, we do. Every single one of these measures grew out of our central mission to build a greater city, to leave it stronger, fairer, and more prosperous than we found it. A city where kids who look like me, come from families like mine, don't have to beat the odds to get a great education, a good paying job, raise a family, and pursue their dreams. As I outlined in my State of the City address, Chicago is staring down an $838 million budget gap, one of the largest gaps in our history. Getting that number down to zero required ingenuity, but more than that, it required hard choices across both expenditures and revenues. But this budget is more than a simple math problem. It's a value statement for what we prioritize and the kind of city that we want to be. The kind of city where strong, widespread, and dynamic middle class isn't shrinking, but actually growing again. Where every resident feels safe to walk in their neighborhood day or night. Where we all pay our fair share. I agree with her 100% when she says a budget should be a value statement. Absolutely. And I would think the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, they would agree with her on that point. That just basic principle, the budget is a value uh, statement. And that's why the teachers are saying, let's show our commitment to values like fairness and equity by spending more money, by dedicating more money in our budget to pay for nurses and social workers and librarians and counselors so that kids, poor kids who are at in the Chicago public schools 
can get a leg up, can begin to compete with wealthier kids. That's what this strike is about. And Lori Lightfoot uh, seems to agree with them. Make this a value statement. So I think there's room for, there you go. Stacey Davis Gates, I hope you were listening. Give Lori Lightfoot a text right now and tell her let's meet and talk about how we can show Chicago is committed to shared values and an appreciation of doing more for those who have less. There you go, D. I'm looking on the bright side. There was a value statement, all right? So don't say I'm don't say that I'm all negative and pessimistic. I found something positive to say. Oh, wait, Hold that on. cup's half full. Yeah, do that cup bit for a fifth time. I heard it's better the fifth time around, actually. I'm almost out of the water. I need to get more water <laughs> or Kool-Aid. All right, everybody, weigh in with your thoughts on Lori Lightfoot's address. We have several of you on the YouTube live stream weighing in, uh, being very candid. We'll, re we'll read those comments a little later on, but also on the uh, Ben Drosky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. We're asking you your thoughts. If you could decide describe Mayor Lightfoot's budget address in one word, what would it be and why? We'll throw it over to you, Ben, in one word. Old school. Old school. Yeah, she we'll took take it, it right out of the textbook. We'll put a hyphen, old hyphen school, yeah. make it one word. Yeah. How about that? Or textbook, whatever you want to call it. I like old school, man. So send us your thoughts. We'll try to read those on the air as today's program rolls along. And there it was, Lori Lightfoot's budget address in review. And yes, the Chicago teachers are still striking. Don't go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back. Coming up after this short little break, our dear friend, actor, comedian, and multi-talented man, the one, the only, Pat Whalen, will be joining us. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, podcast fans, that's you. I mean, I'm assuming so because you're listening to this podcast, right? So you're a fan? The Sun-Times political web series, The Fran Spielman Show, is now available as a podcast. The Fran Spielman Show features weekly interviews with the lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our city. Fran holds nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you the real scoop on Chicago politics. And now, NOW Now. You can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Head to City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun-Times. Listen and subscribe now at suntimes.com forward slash Fran hyphen show. Once again, suntimes.com forward slash. And for those who can't spell Fran, F-R-A-N hyphen show. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Young Patrick Whalen is in the studio, host of Yesterday's News, a great new podcast uh, that uh, is produced by our very own Dr. D. That's correct. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? Yes, uh, and Robert Mueller stops by every once in a while, too. It's a star-studded uh, cast. He kills me every time he does that thing with the Mueller. You know, I'm not, I'm not expecting it. Oh, that's correct. There's none of my purview. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the most disappointing testimonies uh, ever in the history. Oh, what page was that? <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, oh, my goodness. Uh, 
people tuning in, you think it's Wednesday. Monroe will be here. Monroe is on the West Coast. One more time, he'll be here next week. I already went to Moscow. Uh, <laughs> maybe he's out there. He's cutting a deal with Putin. Or as he says, Putin. Putin. Um, all right. Uh, anyway, Patrick Whalen, yesterday's news, uh, which I, which I uh, call, I can't believe this stuff <laughs> is real. Den- I want to say another word, but Dennis won't let me swear on the show. I can't believe this stuff is yeah. real. Uh, so what are some of the things you highlight in your show? Well, you know, the, the whole idea, Ben, is that, you know, the, the news is uh, just so thick and fast these days under President Donald Trump that uh, we just try to clean it up a little bit and try to catch things that might have slipped through the cracks. I'm on Twitter a lot, uh, following a lot of different reporters who are keeping track of Trump's, you know, constant barrage of, oh my God, did he really say that ness? Um, but, you know, he takes up a lot of the news cycle, right? He takes a lot of oxygen in the room with his ridiculous tweets and things he says in, in real life. Uh, so we try to follow, you know, other departments in the government, uh, appointed officials, even if they're just acting appointed officials and, uh, you know, stuff that might not get as much attention as, say, I don't know, a, a tweet here and there. <laughs> Sometimes you got to let them fight, yeah. Ben. I let him fight. That's him talking about the Kurds. No, that's, um, yeah, the Kurds fighting with the Turks. No big uh, deal. Thousands of people getting killed and, nah. people, and communities, homes, towns getting bombed. Uh, but yeah, let's just let him fight. No big deal. Yeah, like it's kids in a playground. Yeah. Uh, by the way, which is not even a great idea about kids in a playground. Yeah, let them fight. Yeah, like, just, <laughs> what? Oh, what the, do you mean? The one kid has the other kid down. He's just pounding them. Well, yeah, they're just fighting. Well, you know? it sounds like he went to the Fred Trump School of Parenting. Yeah, so, oh, Fred Trump. There you and go. Daddy Fred. Uh, so, um, all right, give me an example of one of the things you've highlighted in the last show. Well, uh, last episode we talked about. So, actually, the episode before last. So, we, we record on Sundays, typically, uh, Dennis and I. And uh, there is this uh, resort in Florida. You might have heard of it. <laughs> it's called Mar-a-Lago. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful place. Um, I don't know if you heard, but there's this organization called ACT for America. It was started by a woman after 9-11. Uh, she is anti-Muslim, Ben. There's really no way to sugarcoat this. Uh, she thinks that Muslims are uh, not Americans. She says it's impossible for Muslims to be loyal Americans. That's a direct quote, loyal. Um, and they and their organization uh, was pursuing having a conference at Mar-a-Lago. And they received their permits, they got confirmation, and then it got, got out into the news that they were going to do this. And obviously, you know, a lot of organizations are looking to have conferences or parties or whatever at Mar-a-Lago because, as we say, uh, your chance of running into the president at the urinal goes up 800% when you go to Mar-a-Lago, right? So they're looking for probably a little influence there. But again, they're an anti-Muslim group, so that's not good, right? Mm. So uh, Mar-a-Lago came under pressure. The administration of Mar-a-Lago said, you know what? We're canceling it. ACT for America is not coming to Mar-a-Lago. Well, two days before ACT uh, was told that they are not going to have their conference at Mar-a-Lago, a different anti-Muslim group. Uh, I'd have to look up what that group is, actually. ACT for America. Watch Mar-a-Lago. how fast he's looking stuff up. Ben, take notes. No, I'm, I First of all, he has a computer. I got the cell phone. Computer. My bull cell phone. Yeah, I'm always impressed. Bull season. That's why I'm red. You're pumped, huh? Yeah, very pumped. I'll be watching. Oh, my God, I'll be going with Cap and Norm. We'll be watching. We're very excited. Bulls versus Charlotte. Pat, you got that pulled up? Easy now. Easy now on the sports, Ben. I think the point is 
that this other group, uh, it's not ACT for America, but it is a different group. Okay. I'll look it up a little later on in the show. But the point is, two days before ACT for America was told you're not having your conference at Mar-a-Lago, this other anti-Muslim group was approved to have their conference at Mar-a-Lago. And so this is a great encapsulation of what I tried to do at yesterday's news. It's kind of a, the three-card Monty of the Trump administration with his business interests. Of course, you know he's a businessman. That is we correct. We can talk more about that in a yeah. bit. That's correct. Yeah, that. Um <laughs> But, you know, so yeah. what we try to keep track of is, you know, while you're looking at the left hand, I'm trying to make sure I'm looking at the right, collect all these stories. You know, I'm definitely looking at the right. That's a good way to put it. Um, the far right, even, Ben. Um, and then we try to collect those stories, put them all together, record it. And uh, I try not to lose my cool. Yeah. Uh, Dennis edits out all the parts of Don't me edit losing it, it. No, I no. I think you should put them in. No, it's good. It's just me going like, I can't believe this. Is, I, I can't believe this. You know, stuff like that. He cuts all that stuff out. Yeah, it's a good like idea. Different right? parts. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, what went down yesterday, I don't know what you've had a time. Obviously, you haven't had a chance to put this in your show, but what went down yesterday was extraordinary. Uh, we were in the studio, so I missed it live, but mm -hmm. I've been following it obsessively uh, ever since. William Taylor, who was the top diplomat to Ukraine, yes. uh, appointed, oh, I guess it was in August, uh, came out and testified in Congress yesterday. It was behind closed doors, so we can't see it, mm -hmm. his uh, testimony, but uh, uh, the transcript was released, and he just blatantly, he came right out and said it. Uh, it's that we were been talking about whether it was quid pro quo when Donald Trump uh, had this phone conversation with the president of Ukraine uh, and said, you know, it would be nice uh, if you did a little investigation into uh, uh, Joe Biden's son uh, and his dealings in uh, the Ukraine. Uh, so it was, you know, the, the, immediately the acknowledgement was, oh, the, the, the allegation was, oh, it was a quid pro quo. Uh, he was exchanging aid to Ukraine. Uh, it, for an investigation uh, into Joe Biden's and his son. But William Taylor's testimony goes one step further, Pat, and he, he makes it clear it wasn't quid pro quo. It was extortion. Mm. It was, it, and this is William, I'm, I'm paraphrasing William Taylor's uh, a testimony. Uh, essentially, uh, the, uh, he had got, he, William Taylor, got an order, got, uh, from, got the word from other White House aides that aid uh, money for uh, military aid assistance to Ukraine have been halted, which the Congress had approved, have been halted, ordered halted by the White House under the direction of President Trump and would not be turned over until the president of Ukraine publicly announced, publicly announced, publicly announced yeah. that he was launching an investigation into Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son. So I, I don't even call that quid pro quo. The money had been appropriated uh, to assist Ukraine uh, in their war with Russia, which is what it is—a war—and uh, uh, but Donald Trump was saying, "No, you will not. We will not release this money uh, until you publicly launch." this investigation. Well, I even, you know, would dissect what you're saying here because, I mean, did he say you all, you need to begin an investigation and announce it publicly? No. He just said, say publicly that you're having an investigation. And I could see him actually saying, eh, we, we don't really care if you actually have it or not. We just want people to think that you are. That's all. Yeah, 161 mil, no big deal. Um, and, you know, my, my biggest stuff with this is that I can't believe that, I believe less than two weeks ago, Republican members of Congress were saying, there was no quid quo quo that, that that did not happen, you know, and now and, and we went from did it happen to it happened? Is it OK to, you know, when he was on the, you know, the, the lawn of the White House saying, yes, I did. And you know what? I think China should do it, too. Yeah. Well, this uh, this goes uh, this goes beyond 
this just goes beyond simple accusation because we're talking essentially about how do I put this? Uh, halting money to halting aid to Ukraine when they're in the middle of a war with Russia. You talk about lives at stake. Mm. Uh, you're talking about the balance of power in that region. You're talking about the United States' credibility as an ally to Ukraine. Absolutely all that is out the window because Donald Trump, you're right, you're absolutely correct. I, he probably didn't care if no, there was who cares? He doesn't believe in investigations anyway. Perception is reality, first of all. And second of all, I think it's, you know, I'm not really surprised, Ben, that it's actually extortion and not a quid pro quo because I don't know Latin. <laughs> I don't speak it. I don't translate it. Yeah. I skipped that day in school. So I would rather go with extortion because it's an easier word for me to say and define. Well, extortion is pretty hardcore. It's like, you're getting it. You're, I'm holding it back. All right. You want it? You deliver. Uh, President Trump, did you perform a quid pro quo? No, thank you. I don't like seafood. <laughs> Uh, that's a very good imitation. But uh, anyway, so that was William Taylor's uh, testimony yesterday. 15-page opening statement. Yeah, I heard that, that elicited a lot of uh, sighs and groans from the press corps. Here's the, one of the key parts. Toward the end of an otherwise normal meeting, a voice in the call, the person was off screen, said that she was from the Office of Management and Budget. budget. This is uh, Taylor talking. Mm. And that her boss had instructed her not to approve any additional spending of security assistance for Ukraine until further notice. I and others sat in astonishment. The Ukrainians were fighting the Russians and counted on not only the training and weapons, but also the assurance of U.S. support. All that the OMB staff person said was that the directive had come from the president to the chief of staff to OMB. In an instant, I realized that one of the key pillars of our support for Ukraine was threatened. The irregular policy channel is running contrary to the goals of longstanding U.S. policy. And that irregular policy channel he's alluding to is what he's saying is uh, Rudolph Giuliani and others sort of directing U.S. policy uh, in Ukraine outside of normal channels, outside of the State Department. With Tweedledee and Tweedledum. With Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And, you know, uh, I don't think there's anyone in the studio old enough to remember Iran-Contra. But that was the controversy in the 1980s when uh, Ronald Reagan, had set up a, uh, a secret policy, a, 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 a secret office within the, the White House that was going to uh, swap, the, the way it was, that was going to work, they were going to uh, swap money, take money from Iran, use it to buy weapons for the Contras mm -hmm. uh, in Nicaragua, and in exchange, uh, the uh, uh, hostages would be released from Iran. So at least you were getting hostages for your... Uh, subversive in, inside the White House, off-the-shelf government. You, in this case, we're not. What are we getting? We're getting dirt for Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. And I think you know, I'm sure we'll get into you know the uh, skiff raid 2019 here of all the you know they're ordering pizzas right now for the Republicans who are uh, invading the skiff right now outside the uh, testimony. Or the, the hearings. I don't even know specifically what these hearings are on, but I'm following along on Twitter and that's all happening. And all that is, is any Republican who's running for reelection is running scared and doesn't want to get caught under the boot. I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, one person who said uh, one Republican representative who said, you know, I, I didn't come here to get reelected. Uh, he said he spoke out against President Trump and said this was a quid pro quo, seriously. Like, the emperor has no clothes. What are we all talking about here? This is ridiculous. Not 24 hours later, he announced he was not running for re-election. So clearly there's some clout being thrown around behind the scenes where, you know, look at Lindsey Graham. 
Even Lindsey Graham was talking about the Kurds in Syria earlier this week and saying, this is not good. And he, and now he's defending the lynching comment, which, you know, I mean, take your pick, Ben. Throw, throw a dart we'll, at the board. We'll, we'll get into the legit. Uh, that gets into the category of tweets. But, yeah, this story was breaking the, that Pat alluded to. Uh, the Republican congressman uh, sort of had invaded a, uh, a hearing, uh, a private behind doors, closed door hearing uh, where testimony was being given in terms of the impeachment inquiry. And I haven't been able to follow it because I've been on on the air. But all hell is breaking loose. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's clear that there's nothing. Nothing resembling any uh, like a bipartisan effort uh, to investigate what went down with the White House to investigate what is clearly, I mean, based on William Taylor's testimony, uh, evidence of extortion. Uh, where they were arm twisting Ukraine into he right announcing an investigation as opposed to launching an investigation. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? What's the difference? <laughs> What's the di- all they needed? You're right. Was the soundbite of the Ukrainian president saying we are launching an investigation into Joe Biden's and who cares? You're right. No one's going to believe it. And yeah, who they, cares? Yeah, okay, now can I have my money? Uh, exactly. And then but the money comes into him. He's not a president. He's not a businessman. He is a reality television show host. Yeah. That's why Three Card Monty comes into play. It's why he's talking. You know, one other uh, example I wanted to mention, Ben, that we talked about on yesterday's news is uh, that the, that violent video that came out, again, less than two weeks ago. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but it was someone pasted Donald Trump's head over uh, Colin Firth from the movie Kingsman, for those keeping track at home. But there's a scene where he's shooting people in a church. It is one of the most violent things I've probably ever seen in my life. But someone, again, pasted Donald Trump's head over the person who was shooting people. And over the people being shot's heads, there were things like Black Lives Matter, CNN, uh, basically people who talked out against Donald Trump. Now, there are uh, plenty of videos online of, you know, Trump supporters making ridiculous troll, you know, content, right? Things that are going to upset people who don't support the president and his policies. The reason this video was brought to light, specifically in an article by the New York Times, is because it was shown at a conference at Doral Resort in Miami, again, owned by Donald Trump. But I think an excellent use of the three-card Monty technique, again, by President Donald Trump. By the end of the week, you weren't talking about the video at Doral. You were talking about the G7 at Doral. And it switched the whole script. And this is exactly what he does. He knows how to do, look over here. He's, he would have been a great dog trainer in another <laughs> life, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I think, you know, the American people and their attention span is really being tested in terms of his ability to spin, basically. Yeah. Well, it listen, it's, uh, it's really hard uh, to, how do I put this, um, build uh, a bipartisan, a bipartisan um, in, uh, investigation of Donald Trump when uh, roughly 80% of the Republic, Republican Party is determined to support him regardless. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, these outrages come out uh, and they're quickly dismissed. Uh, the the people who uh, prom- uh, who report on the outrages are accused of promoting fake news, uh, or they say or they say it's a witch hunt. No matter what, no matter what is revealed about Donald Trump, uh, there's no objective reality when it comes to his supporters. So we're really it's a really difficult time. Uh, if if you want, if you're looking just for like if you're looking for a standard to be upheld in our country right now. It's very difficult to uphold a standard. So you have Republican congressmen, you know, invading this uh, uh, hearing, this private, this 
this behind this closed door hearing yes. on the grounds that some kind of witch hunt uh, is taking place there, as opposed to joining in the hearing mm -hmm. and asking questions and participating in it. No. Uh, so it's very difficult uh, to, you know, have anything, anything that we just all agree on is, is like a, an objective reality. Exactly. And um, I mean, I, I would add, I don't want to take your eye off the ball here too much, but you know, this is exactly what, in my opinion, what Putin wanted. There, there is no direct, you know, one thing I will say about Donald Trump is he's an idiot. He sleeps four hours a night. He eats nothing but garbage. He might be addicted to Sudafed. And so he is not, you know, I, I don't know how many brain cells he has to rub together, but he is smart enough to hire people who don't need to be explicitly told what to do. Michael Cohen is a great example. Make this go away, right? If that was brought into court, you know, they'd be able to defend the fact, well, he didn't explicitly tell him to do that. And I think that's what we have in terms of Russian collusion. You know, R Russia didn't want Donald Trump to win. They want us to question the, the very fabric of our democracy and the uh, institutions that operate therein. Uh, and I think today is just another step in that, uh, I don't want to say master plan, but, you know, draft. I don't know. Uh, and you have any great uh, uh, Trump tweets you want to uh, take the deep dive into? <laughs> Do I, Ben? Thank you so much for having me, my friend. Uh, you know, first of all, I'd like to say there's I have a few statistics before we get into these tweets. Okay. Um, on October 9th, Donald Trump sent 37 tweets attacking past presidents, current politicians and U.S. law enforcement. Uh, so that, that was on the 9th. He sent 37 tweets. In one day. That's correct. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Uh, for those who don't follow Donald Trump on Twitter, uh, on October 14th, uh, there were six attacks on U.S. Congress, five attacks on U.S. citizens, four attacks on U.S. companies, three foreign policy abuses, two conspiracy theories, and one reality TV update. Wait, uh, what was the reality TV update? Does it uh, say? I think uh, I don't even remember what show it was. I don't remember. Just, I will look and come back. No, it's, I'm just he curious. commented on you know television basically. Okay. Oh god, it wasn't Big Brother or something like that, but it was Snooky off, off the beaten path. <laughs> it was. It was like something related to that, that Jersey Shore. Or you know what? I'll bet it was uh, Spicer. Uh, oh, uh, from Dancing, Dancing with, the with the Stars. stars. But okay. he didn't say great dancing he was just like we love sean great guy um and then on the 22nd which of course was yesterday uh he th there was some there were like over 50 tweets in 24 hours and nothing says stable genius and i'm not concerned about allegations of corruption like many 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 tweets so you know obviously it's always a moving target with president donald trump but there are a few really good ones in here let me see if i can find a tweet. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there's the lynching one, Ben, that, that you, I'm sure, talked about earlier. Well, I'm actually going to be talking about that later. And oh, okay. uh, that was uh, that was the one where uh, Donald Trump uh, said he was the victim of a lynching. Uh, and uh, he set off uh, quite a bit of fear on the uh, on the Internet, people responding. I'll be talking about that uh, a little later with our next guest. Um, yeah, but uh, and uh, maybe ask Marie Newman her opinions of that tweet as well. Ah, there you are. Were there, has, has he tweeted yet about Eddie Johnson, the Chicago uh, police chief? No, he hasn't, actually. And when I spoke to you off the air, I misspoke. It was actually part of the public comment section before Lori Lightfoot's um, budget speech today, if you can call it that, um, of uh, one of the public commenters said it is a disgrace that Eddie Johnson is technically the host of President Trump when he comes to town to give uh, the speech in front of the uh, police chief's International um, Association of Chiefs of Police. Yes, and he says um, it's it's a disgrace that uh, 
you know, that the, the, the well, chief of, wouldn't participate. In oh, that, so basically. one of the, um, uh, oh, somebody criticized. Okay, so here's the story as it's breaking. Uh, Donald Trump will be coming to Chicago. He hasn't come to Chicago in a long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody knows he uses Chicago uh, as a punching bag when, when, whenever it's convenient just to sort of bash Obama, bash Democrats, and bash big cities where he's not popular. He loves the pizza, though. Yeah, he loves the pizza, and he loves you know he loves the politicians. I mean, they help, they they gave him the green light and the permits to build his tower. Uh, they gave him the green light and the permit to put his name on the tower, as you as you often point out when we go by the tower. <laughs> so Chicago's been very good to Donald Trump, uh, and it's still good to Donald Trump because whenever he needs uh, to just you know bash Democrats and bash Democratic politicians, there's always Chicago, and he. He, he'll tweet it out. Anyway, he's coming to town. Uh, he's going to address uh, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And uh, Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson has vowed to boycott uh, Trump's appearance. And I guess that's good that Eddie Johnson is sort of standing up for his city. Uh, I don't know how popular that is with a lot of maybe some rank and file police officers may feel that's disrespectful to Donald Trump or whatever. Eddie Johnson's making that stand. Now, coincidentally, Pat, uh, Eddie Johnson is up to gain a little bit of hot water himself Yikes. because about a week ago he's found slumped over the, his car uh, outside not far from his home in Bridgeport and uh, there's an investigation to see to determine whether uh, he uh, had, what, had had a few too many to drink uh, they did not do a, any kind of blood test uh, at that night uh, when they discovered the police didn't test his blood and so there was we, we really don't know I guess there's no scientific evidence one way or the other uh, whether he was drunk but as soon as i saw uh that eddie johnson word broke that he was going to boycott uh donald trump's speech i had a feeling that somehow or other uh donald trump would it, that news would find its way to donald trump and he would respond with a tweet uh, reminding people about Eddie Johnson's problems. And generally, he gets these updates from Fox TV. So it leads me to believe that Fox TV, the national Fox TV, hasn't figured out, one, that Eddie Johnson's boycotting the speech, or two, that uh, Eddie Johnson the, is in trouble with this investigation. But when those two things are put together, you watch. Donald Trump will uh, launch a salvo on, twi on Twitter. I, I guarantee it's going to happen. I, I don't exactly know when this speech is, but you know he's he's going to have something to say about it as soon as Fox reminds him about it anyway. And, uh, you know, in, in talking about what, you're, what you mentioned earlier with the, you know, basically untruths that, you know, it's hard to keep up with the tweets and that. I mean, he did it in front of cameras today. I was kind of watching on two different videos as the budget speech was going on. Uh, President Trump was giving a uh, quick speech. It's not a presser. He didn't take questions uh, on Syria. I believe Mike Pompeo was with him, and I, I don't know if it was Mulvaney. There was one other person. But he literally said, you know, I just talked to this general over there. All the prisoners are secure. And I was literally looking at Twitter on my phone, and a 100 ISIS-related prisoners mm -hmm. escaped uh, in Syria. I mean, this is happening in real time. This isn't like a denial of something that happened earlier. These things happen very quickly. And I, I did want to mention there's a great uh, NPR article from October 10th uh, with the, the passing of uh, Representative Elijah Cummings, uh, a, a big deal that happened in the last week, something that affected me in a big way. That that guy really knew what he was about, had his priorities in order, especially, you know, he, he kept focus under the Trump administration. But the headline from NPR's Twitter analysis shows how Trump tweets differently about non-white lawmakers. Um, so it, it gives specific uh, words that are highlighted about, of course, the squad, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, 
uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and it just gives you a a full list of what it is he has said. Uh, For instance, so bad for our country, vile and disgusting statements, you know, stuff like that. You can click on those, and it takes you directly to the tweets he makes. But if I had to pick one tweet to give you first, Mm -hmm. uh, it would be one from October 20th, so it's three days ago, at 2.15 p.m., uh, a tweet from the President of the United States, Donald Trump. Mark Esperanto, Secretary of Defense, quote, The ceasefire is holding up very nicely. There are some minor skirmishes that have ended quickly. New areas being resettled with Kurds, end quote. USA soldiers are not in combat or ceasefire zones. We have secured the oil. Bringing soldiers home. Wow. So that, We have secured the oil. We have secured, so first of all, that's not getting any play. Like, with everything that's happening, no one is talking about the fact that the only troops he wanted to leave behind were to watch the oil fields. And, yeah. I mean, this is in direct correlation to what he said about the Iraq war, although he's had eight different positions since it actually happened. He said, I, th- I thought we shouldn't go. And then afterward, he was like, well, I thought we should have went and just guarded the oil because that's why we went in the first place. And people are like, oh, wow, it's a lot of clarity. But I, <laughs> but the, the big deal is that that tweet began with Mark Esperanto that is not the name of the Secretary of, of Defense, Ben. <laughs> Do you know the name of the Secretary of Defense? It's really hard. It's hard to keep track these days. Yeah, it is hard. I can't remember at the moment. Mm. Hey, but it's not Mark Esperanto? It is not Mark Esperanto. So we got the wrong. <laughs> That's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it's Esper. It's oh, Esper. Okay. So I probably yeah, I did not a, know that. Probably a uh, uh, autocorrect, you know? Oh, I'm sure well, there'd be a lot of ducking in his tweets if he had his say. Uh Yes, and okay, as somebody who has suffered from uh, the autocorrect with texting, all right? Yes. Now, I'm not really familiar with the tweeting games. You tell me the same thing goes on uh, with Twitter, all right? Yeah, he said uh, Esperanto. There is... Uh, so, e- yeah, no, let's Esperanto. Give, yeah, let's, let's give him some credit there. That was the... But so nobody felt they didn't go back and edit it? No, no, man, no. no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still... No, I think it might have been a screenshot that I saw. He might have taken it down, but... Uh, this, this has happened many times. There are many tweets out there of, of the president misspelling things. And I think that also lends itself to the fact that you can always tell when it isn't him tweeting, you know, when he'll use like big words, yeah. like, like negotiation and stuff like that. So do you think he was the one who tweeted that one about Esperanto? I absolutely think so. Because, you know, anyone with half a brain in their head on staff would be like, let's check this for misspelling before we show it to the entire world. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just, what a bizarre, I mean, it's not funny, but it is funny. Just like, you uh, gotta laugh. There's the, the, the war, the, the ceasefires holdings. Uh, there's nobody getting killed. Uh, we brought the troops home, but the oil fields are secure. Everything's been accomplished. Even it, if one thing contradicts the other, of course, I was just saying this about our budget speech today, where on one hand, the mayor was saying, I'm going to dip into the tip, uh, slush fund, uh, to help pay the bills this year. But, I am also eradicating the TIF slush fund. So, uh, wild. Yeah, I guess people can, um, you know, hold two di- separate thoughts in their mind at one time. Pat, sure. Walk Pat, and chew gum. Pat Whalen is my guest. We'll take a break and we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
and listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. By improving how we collect the debt we are owed, this budget also saves an additional $25 million by moving to a new system that ensures payments are expedited and more companies are brought into compliance. This budget restructures some of our city departments, ensuring taxpayers get the greatest value for their dollars while still receiving the highest quality service. And as we announced earlier this month, this budget reforms our public safety agencies by streamlining the administrative functions of our police, fire, and OEMC departments into a single agency. The new Office of Public Safety Administration, which will immediately save the city $2 million. But these are more than just cost-saving measures. By consolidating these units, we will be putting more than 160 police officers and fire personnel back on the streets where they can do the most good. <clears throat> All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, October 23rd is just moments away. By the way, if you're on the live stream and it happens to go down, well, that means my phone died. So uh, we're going to try and keep it on as long as we can here, but we're hooking the sound up through my phone. So, hey, if uh, the... Show just stops. You can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. 
And I suggest if uh, that'd be the time to do that, if you've yet to do that. So, all right. Hour number two is brought to you by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, October 23rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome back activist Levante Stewart, and we have a congressional candidate in the building third Congressional Democratic candidate, Marie Newman. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Levante Stewart is in the building. Levante Stewart is in the building. Uh, welcome back, Levante. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Ben. Give me a little closer to that microphone. Yeah. There you go. Uh, all right. Now, I did this the last time Levante was on the show, and I said I would do it again. Uh, in his day job, Levante works for State Treasurer Michael Frerichs. Uh, in the rest of his life, uh, he is an activist in South Shore, uh, which is a community on, you know, on the lakefront in the city of Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, just south of Hyde Park, helping people out with the geography a little bit, Levante. And so I always like to say, uh, the view, this, is, this is an official statement. The views and opinions expressed by Levante, and he's got a lot of them, do not in any way reflect those of Michael Frerichs. So That's correct. if you don't like what he says, blame him. Don't blame Frerichs, all right, Levante? There we go. All right, that is said. So he's speaking as a private citizen. I just want to remind everybody out there, he's got First Amendment protected rights to say what's on his mind, and I welcome him to say this on the show, and he's speaking as a private citizen. And I, I value what you say, uh, Levante, because uh, we told your personal story the last time we were in your show. Uh, you're a Chicago kid, uh, born and raised grown up, raised your family here from, uh, uh, you're very active in your community, and uh, you have your own worldview based on the experiences you've had growing up in the city of Chicago, uh, attending many schools here in the city of Chicago. You took, you like, you tested out this high school, that high school, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, so anyway, you have some uh, interesting worldview, and that's why I like to bring you on the show. I don't know if I always agree with you or you always agree with me, but I appreciate you coming into the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks uh, for having me back. And it's okay to disagree, right? Agree to disagree. Right. That's I love right. to agree to disagree with people. Well, uh, let's start. Well, I don't agree with that. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm uh, just kidding. Well, Already. I agree with that. <laughs> All right. Before we get started, uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what you're doing in South Shore? You was telling me you're at the Bears game on uh, Sunday, and I think we'll uh, all agree in the studio the Bears completely, totally suck. Oh so now we'll move on from the things that we agree with uh, to talk about uh, what you were doing. But, at the, but have you been reading, I don't know, man, all of these wild trade uh, rumors are starting to come up. Have you read the one about Cam? No. Yeah, yeah it's probably not real. I mean, people are probably Cam just, Newton? Yeah. Probably, oh. people are Who would they trade for him? Uh, half the team. Can, they just, can we get Trubisky right now? I'll trade you Ryan can you Pace, get Mitch on the show? You can get Mitch on the show. He needs to talk uh, to you. Mitch, uh, Mitch is like hiding under that table right now. Oh, when he said Cam Newton, Ben's face lit up. I Live know. stream viewers saw that. Uh -huh. <laughs> I really? mean, a legitimate quarterback? Uh, somebody that can uh, follow their reads and... 
do something with the ball. All right, but you were uh, at the Bears game on Sunday? Yeah, so I'm at the Bears game every home game right now. So here's the reason why. Uh, I mentioned last time on the show, I'm founding executive director of a small non-for-profit called Lost Boys, Inc. But uh, I think we're beginning to garner a little national recognition for our work and a little recognition here at home. So we're a sports-based youth development organization. So we use the power of sport for social good and social change with children and their development. Um, so anyway, short version of it is we're there because we are participating in Airmark's Airmark has this uh, wonderful NPO program. DNC had it, too, when they were the concession provider for Soldier Field. But it's um, one of the very few professional or sports organizations that does this, that allows nonprofits to come in and get in on the profit sharing, shall we say, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what happens is we have a concession stand for the entire season. We do Bears home games. We do concerts. We do soccer games. We did the uh, Chicago football classic. So any event that's happening at Soldier Field, we're there. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens is we get a take home of about 10 to 11 to 12 percent of the total um the total Revenues. net profit, mm -hmm. right? The, the revenue from that stand. So mm -hmm. on average, we'll generate, you know, we'll generate like 14000 in sales. So that's like a take home of anywhere from fourteen to 1700 per event for Lost Boys, minus any mess ups there. But here's the idea behind it. So what we're doing with this fundraising opportunity, instead of dumping this money just back into general operating revenue, we have a program called Successful Youth Leaders, which is a continuum of service program. So when kids are too old to play baseball or softball, what we do is roll them into this program, and everything is kind of the same structure, except instead of playing, now they work. We introduce them to the workforce through one of four uh, industries that tie back to baseball. They can become a junior coach. They can become a sports journalist, dash, uh, uh, analyst, stat statistician. They can become a grounds crew member, or they can become a junior umpire, which, of course, they can get certified in that, right? And then they can go out and... You know, go to IHSA, try to get in there, whatever they do, they can make 50 bucks a game or more, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, uh, part of what we're doing with that concept is taking this money that we've made at the stand and it becomes seed capital for that particular cohort in a given year, that cohort of kids. That money then is used as seed capital for a micro enterprise. So the kids create manage and own a business that will revolve back around sports. So this first cohort of kids that are working it now, they're going to open uh, a concession business, so a mobile food truck, right? I've been trying to do this like 10 years. So they'll take the, the revenue we made from that, and they'll uh, create a mobile food cart at some point this year. They will be the business owners. They can work it if they want. It's up to them. We'll, we'll figure it out this year. We'll come up with the business plan and do everything will, that we will need to do. Will they make the food themselves? If that's what they decide they want to do. Yeah. Uh, so we'll look at it. But what's great about this opportunity, and particularly going into that type of industry, is they're, they're, they're already acclimated. They're doing it now. Well, you know what? Uh, my sports brain picked up on something you said, and this is uh, something that has uh, always upset me over the years. Uh, I'm a diehard sports fan. That doesn't upset me, although the Chicago sports they're so bad that these days <laughs> upsets me. But I know so many black kids, Lamonte, who love sports as much as I do. 
are obsessed about sports as much as I don't know if you were that kind of kid, but oh, yeah. I know so many. I can have conversation with them. We could talk about just the first name. They pick up on it. You know, we could. They know statistics. They right. know, and and it just seems like black kids are channeled into playing sports as opposed to talking about sports or right. writing about sports right. or being a general manager. You understand what I'm saying? It's Absolutely. like. There's many more opportunities to talk about sports, write about sports, it's a growing industry, as opposed to playing sports. There's relatively few spots, and yet society just doesn't encourage black kids to think that way. Do you follow what I'm saying? No, absolutely, and I'm glad you brought up that point because we're still, as a society, stuck in that place, right? I'm, I always liken myself, or I tell people, uh, when we talk about generations, I say I'm from the boys in the hood generation, although I'm Generation X, but that's the time that those type of movies came out, right? The, the late 90s, right? Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood. These movies were reflective of black culture and black life and what was happening in our communities as young people. And so one of the things even then that you picked up on early in those movies, it was always said for black boys, you're either going to be a rapper or a ball player, right? And so that theme has been consistent over the next, these last, what, 20 years or so, it's still the same way, right? They wanna be an entertainer, or you wanna be a ball player. And so that was that line of thinking that got us thinking this way. So, you know, talking with our board chairwoman, we really envisioned uh, something that gives kids a greater opportunity. And so what we found was that, listen, everybody's not gonna go to the uh, MLB that's coming through our program, probably 0.000001% of our kids will play professional sports. Mm -hmm. But we wanted them to understand the opportunities behind the scenes of sports, right? What, you know, opportunities that exist in the college, in collegiate sports that exist at professional levels. You know, you can be the guy that's cutting the grass at Wrigley and turning the dirt and you're making six figures. Yeah. That's a great windfall that's right? a great payday and you're still in sports yeah you're still in proximity to what right. you love yeah so uh same way like you know i didn't make it pro in anything but i coach uh, i train children to play the sport mm -hmm. into the next level and so that's probably so much more satisfying for me than still trying to play myself because it's it's bigger than me yeah you know? uh, and and not just uh, but also my pet peeve is to uh, in the media uh, to be present uh, in the media, t uh, writing about it, talking about it. There's opportunities. Yeah, there, absolutely. So. Which is, I like Evan Moore. Writes Evan right. Evan Moore, yes. right here, yes. my beloved. He's from South Shore. Woo woo. Yes. yes. Did you see? Oh, I, I rushed you in. You didn't get a chance to see him. All right. Now, uh, speaking of South Shore, speaking of Chicago, get your thoughts on uh, Donald Trump. And uh, Donald Trump is coming to Chicago. He's going to speak uh, at uh, a, uh, uh, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Uh, Eddie Johnson has vowed to boycott that uh, event. I, I told Pat, I predicted that Donald Trump before too long will have a tweet blasting Eddie Johnson. Of course. Uh, has it come yet? I, I haven't yet. seen it yet. Uh, you got to wait for it to air on Fox TV. Oh, yeah, they yeah, point yeah. out uh, all the yeah, what's it, going in on the middle here. Of the night. Uh, so what's your thoughts about Eddie Johnson boycotting? You support that? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, kudos to Eddie. It's a big stand to, you know, it's standing with his city. It's standing with Chicago. Uh, Chicago has taken a, a lashing from this particular president. Uh, and it's very ironic, given that the last president, Chicago, claimed him. And so, you know, now we've got a guy coming in that's just really bad mouth in the city. So if for no other good reason, there's a reason for Chicago to unite. It doesn't matter if we're black, white, Hispanic, north side, south side. Nobody talks about our city, man. 
So I'm, I'm with Eddie on that. And the tr- president, he can come in and speak. Come in and speak. He's got the constitutional right. I wouldn't want to stop him just when he was on the campaign trail. Come in and speak. It's your right. And Eddie has the, the constitutional right not to attend this speech. Exactly. Uh, and I agree with you on that one. But I think there's a political, actually, uh, motivation for Donald Trump to bash Chicago. Uh, absolutely. Because of just as you alluded, Chicago is considered the hometown of Barack Obama. Actually, I guess Hawaii is hometown. But whatever. Yeah. Put that aside. Uh, it's his political hometown. Right. It's where he got his start of his political career. So right. it's a home not far from South Shore in Kenwood. Right. And uh, so when, when Donald Trump bashes uh, Chicago, he's effectively bashing Barack Obama, Democrats, and the policies uh, they didn't implement. So it's it has a political it's a political tool for him. Absolutely, everything with this particular president is political. Yeah, this is why we're talking about an impeachment inquiry because he can't differentiate from his role in governing with his role his political role you know he's conflating the two so you know everything is political with this guy were you more offended uh, than usual with his uh, lynching tweet so yes and no here's the reason no this is donald trump it's a deflection it's to take our eyes off of what's happening with the impeachment inquiry more evidence that's coming behind uh the ukrainian scandal and all these other scandals so he always throws something out there to deflect right he always throws out the shiny object and and says go rover go get that right and then we chase the bone and we miss the the real point of what's going on so we know that there's new information coming out we know that there are very Key individuals, I think it's Bill Taylor, uh, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor that yeah. just mm-hmm. testified, testified recently, yeah. and I think you know, and I've been asking a lot of my colleagues who are very politically uh, knowledgeable. I'm like, this has got to be a big stone here. This has got to be a large rock. Out of all of the rocks that that he's thrown at his own glass house, this has finally got to be the stone that's going to bring the house kind of crumbling down. I, I would think. And uh, so just following, you know, what's going on in those stories, the guy's just using this as a way to deflect, right? So, you know, and I'm not one personally. I'm not one. uh, I made 44 a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I learned about my age at this point in life is not to be so sensitive about everything. We've, We've gotten to a place in society that is scary. Everything is so sensitive, right? I can come in here and say, yeah, Ben doesn't like turkey breast. And now all of a sudden, you've got 50 million haters that are sending you, you know, hate texts because you don't like turkey breast. Because everybody has just gotten so sensitive in this country. And, um, you know, which concerns me too, like with our whole teacher strike. All right, we're going to get into the teacher strike because you and I uh, may be on different sides of this one a little bit. Yeah, probably. But, yeah. what would your advice be to Chicago Congressman uh, in regards to Donald Trump's lynching tweet? Uh, Bobby Rush uh, denounced it in, right. in his own tweet. Well, uh, listen, I think all of the leaders that need to denounce it have denounced it. I think this country, we're smart enough to understand our sordid and twisted history with lynchings, right? So we should know how sensitive uh, that people should be over that particular topic and just throwing things out there, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think it's one to kind of 
get all tied up in the knot. It's Donald Trump, yeah. and it's just a deflection again. I will say, and I'd get, I'd look for your take on this. You know, even Mitch McConnell gave a statement and said this was a very poor choice of words. Yeah. I don't agree with this, but you have people like Lindsey Graham and stuff who are towing the line for the president, and that is almost scarier to me than than him throwing out this rhetoric and making this distraction. It's his ability to rein in people and say, no, yeah, you know right. what? It is a lynching. Lindsey Graham said it's a lynching in every sense of the word. Right. What? Yeah. We, we yeah, th- th- that is wow. what's most scary about him that we have to watch is that ability to just kind of throw things around and just stir up trouble with folks. You, you mean, and also just the blind allegiance yeah. that he has. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Graham. Uh, all right, let's get to the teacher strike. Uh, oh, boy. By the way, say nice things about Lori Lightfoot because I believe she's going to be in the Sun-Times I like Lori. Yeah, I know you're going to. Yeah, oh, she's you're gonna, in the building. She's in the building. I, I voted for Tony, but I like Lori. Uh, she's okay. Did you vote for Tony in each, uh, both times? I did. Okay. I voted for Lori both times. How about that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not really that completely happy with her right now with this teacher strike but I did vote for her uh, twice. So what's your general view and take of the teacher strike? Okay, so first, Stacey Davis-Gates and the CTU do not, uh, you know, take it too hardcore, right? I love CTU. I am an unwavering fan. I think I mentioned that last time. My mother is a special education teacher. We actually argued about this yesterday on the way home from a funeral. So here's my whole take on it. You, you were arguing with your mother about this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think I'm with your mother. I haven't even heard what you said, but I think I'm with your mother. Well, this, this In general, a, I'm with mothers. Oh, wait, go ahead. <laughs> we argued about that the topic you just brought up about blind allegiance. And I think... <laughs> I got oh, blind allegiance man. To Turn it around. Oh, I'll tell you that what, carries over in a lot of things, Just flip that one right on me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no. So here's my take on it. Again, I am extremely, extremely a supporter of CTU. The last strike against Rahm, they needed to. He deserved that. He treated them very disrespectfully. He didn't have the considerations. He was making a lot of decisions for communities and not soliciting input from those communities. Mm-hmm. Lori, I think, is different. Give her a chance. That's my point, right? Here, we're, we're talking about an issue that has existed for over 40 years in this city. And let's be honest, it has utterly impacted communities of color the most, black schools and Hispanic schools, right? Mm -hmm. So this is something that's been existing, some of it by design. I mean, we can go all the way back to the the wagons. uh, Willis wagons. The Willis wagons, right. So there are a lot of discrepancies in education that tie back to this. My problem is this, I like baseball analogies. If it's the seventh inning, my team is down to, I'm a coach. I'm not telling my players to go in and swing for the fences. We're going to play small ball. We're going to get on base, move the runners, try to score, and tie this game up, and maybe take the lead. We're not swinging for the fences. Small ball. They should not be swinging for the fences. They're trying to get a 40 years plus worth of stuff in one, you know, one swoop, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So when you told this to your mother, what did she say to you? Oh, she was livid. <laughs> well, we deserve counselors in the class. We deserve more nurses. We do need smaller class sizes, and I don't disagree with any of it. Yeah. But as a public administrator, there is a reality that sinks in from the finance side of things, right? I mean, just alone. The very reasonable pension, uh, I mean, the uh, uh, raise increase that they've been offered to 16%. Mm-hmm. I think I was reading the other day, um, 
and I've been trying to do a lot of reading and, and come up with, with numbers, I think someone said that it will already cost us to the tune of like $351 million, mm-hmm. right, just to increase current salaries. So now when you start talking about bringing in school counselors, nurses, to reduce class sizes, that means you have to hire more teachers or more teacher assistants. So there is a rising cost with that. Then not to mention, we've got to put in place pensions for people that we hire, right? Mm-hmm. If we're talking about a livable wage, so now we got to sustain that like we don't already have a big pension problem, right? So I think we needed to step back from it. And I think also... This was a great time to talk to this new mayor. Give her a chance. That's my point. Give her a chance and give our new school CEO a chance. We're talking about a lifetime educator, someone who's been an educator, been a principal, put her own kids through CPS, right, who went through CPS. This is what we've been Waiting for well, I just want to point out education. she's not new. She was appointed by the previous mayor. Well, new in she, the sense of new in the sense of not new. Yeah, well, uh, new mayor, new, <laughs> so given the ones we've had, well, she's been the best one so far. She's in house, homegrown, understands it. Give them all a chance. Give this new mayor a chance. What I'm saying is, Ben, I think what would have been more realistic to me was to say, hey, can we work on a 20% increase in this and make it yeah. incremental over the next four years? Let's hire 15 to 20 more percent of counselors that we need this year and nurses and school assistants and teachers. Well, that, and you could do that and put that going. in the contract. I mean, the reality is, by the way, I'd still 100% agree with your mother. Uh, <laughs> the, the, re, the, reality like is, uh, the reality is, if the, if the teachers hadn't gone on strike, they would not even be negotiating over hiring more nurses and social workers. They wouldn't put it in the contract. The only reason that Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson and their lawyer have made that little movement to what we as a society say we need for kids in the poorest schools is because the teachers went on strike. I can't think of any instance in the history of the world, Avante, where anybody with power willingly gave up that power to help somebody who's not in their world without being pressured to it. So it's not like... It's not like Lori Lightfoot walked into office and said, you know what I want to do? I want to listen to Levante Stewart's mother and hire more (laughs) nurses and hire more social workers and hire more counselors. No, she wasn't going to do it until Stacey Davis Gates led all those teachers out into the streets. So I would like to believe that goodness resides in the hearts of the people that we elect to lead us. But Levante, I have to agree with your mother. I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that that goodness does reside in those hearts and that people will willingly make these concessions and that the Lori Lightfoots and the Rahm Emanuels and the Richard M. Daly's of the world will turn to corporate Chicago and say, hey, fellas, you've had it good for a long time. We got these kids in Levante Stewart's baseball team who are really struggling. They go to schools without nurses. They go to schools without social workers. They go to schools without librarians. You're going to have to give up a little sum. You're going to have to give it up to help. And I'm not just talking about a donation to the yeah. youth league. Right. I'm talking about serious year-to-year donation in terms of higher taxes right. to pay for the programs we need to eradicate inequity. Now, help me out. Have you ever seen in your history of your life a person in a position of power, do what I just said without being forced to do it. You know what? That is a good point. Probably not. I mean, you know, how the old saying is, power is not giving out, giving up anything without demand, right? There's another way it's worded. That's my version. Frederick Douglass. Um, but 
again, I don't know, Ben. I'm just stuck in the sense of I feel like we have to be innovative. We have to try new things, new new tricks. It's like going to the same old bag of tricks. Yeah, I know it hasn't been a lot of strikes. The last strike prior to the most recent one was what, like 1983 or something? 87. Um, so I, I know every year there's not a, a strike. But the fact that we're going to this tool right away is very disturbing. I think there were so many other options. There has to be other options than to go to a strike, right? And we're talking about sacrifice. So I've been looking online at a lot of stuff, and so a lot, I see a lot of talk of sacrifice of the teachers, right? They're, they're missing pay, this and that. And I've even seen one where someone took the mayor's letter where she asked them to return to the classrooms in good faith while they continue to negotiate. And some, a teacher took it and they edited it and, and they said, I could fix it for you. And so they scratched out the sacrifices of the parents and students and replaced it with just the teachers. And so, again, there's one sided. It's just uh, about to me. That's how I'm perceiving it is. This is what we want. This is what we need. This is our issues. And oh, it's about the kids. It's about the kids, but we've got the kids sitting at home. I I appreciate that, first of all, your level of discourse. I mean, you guys sitting here being able to talk about this is good. And uh, I have a lot of friends who are in the CTU, and they were out protesting yesterday and today. I have two separate incidents of not only people dropping flyers out of the Board of Trade windows and I saying heard about get a that. job, yeah, but yeah, yeah. being spit on. That's wrong. People are spitting out the windows of the Board of Trade on to striking members of the Chicago Teachers Union. You can't write this stuff. No, you can't. That's the most cliche stuff I've ever heard yeah. in my life. No. no. So but, this level of discourse is good, but yeah. man, you really got to... No, the Board of Trade, I got a better idea. Yeah, they're wrong. Instead of throwing those leaflets down, they should be kicking more money in. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, and then pay for those nurses. But I just, we're just, we'll, we'll see what the world looks like, Avante, when I bring you back next month. Because even if I don't agree with you on 100%, I really enjoy talking to you. And I'll just, I'll, I'll end it with my final point. I'll repeat it again. Uh, there is... I can't, if you say have an other trick in your trick bag to get the mayor to do what the mayor knows she has to do, uh, other than going on strike, I've, again, I'd like to know what that trick is. Because if the teachers had just said, all right, we'll sign a three-year deal with you or a five-year deal with you, and we'll not get any guarantees from nurses, guess what? The kids on your baseball team who go to those schools in South Shore, who go to those schools in Auburn Gresham, they go for another five years without nurses, social workers, and counselors. So I'm looking for the other trick in the trick bag. <laughs> All right? All right, very good. Levante Stewart, thank you very much. Pat Whaler, thank you very much. Marie Newman is on deck. We're going to bring her on. She's running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District. Marie Newman is in the studio. She's running for Congresswoman in the 3rd Congressional District. Welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yeah, when I say welcome back, the last time Marie and I talked, I was in a different state, state station, a different world. Things have changed. So anyway, welcome back to my mini-universe is That's what I'm right. really That's saying. Right. Uh, do you got an update for me? Before, yeah, bring... before we get going here, we went to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page to ask all of you, by the way, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Mayor Lightfoot's budget address has been addressed. If you could describe the mayor's budget address in one word, what would it be and why? Uh, a few of you have left your comments, and if you're listening to this and you've yet to do so, head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page and do the same. We have Tom. Tom weighed in. Uh, his word, beer tax. <laughs> 
Sure, Tom. Thanks for weighing in on that. Scott weighed in. Scott said, disappointing. And Tim, Tim weighed in. Thank you very much, Tim. Tim says, criminal. Why? Because Lori Lightfoot is breaking campaign promises on education, equity, and social justice. She's not proposing a LaSalle Street tax. Ben Drofsky, your thoughts? No, I wish you would uh, propose a LaSalle Street tax. And I didn't hear, I didn't know until uh, Pat pointed that out about uh, the, the, the folks from the uh, Board of Trade throwing spitting on the striking teachers uh, and uh, hurling their invective at them. And, uh, you know, uh, the reality is is that a lot of people are doing very well in the city of Chicago. And the city of Chicago has been very well, has done very well for a lot of people. And uh, so I wish I wish there was an effort by Lori Lightfoot to pick up on some of the more progressive forms of taxation, the kind of thing that J.B. Pritzker is talking about on, on the state level with the fair, uh, the fair tax, which would raise the rate on the wealthiest people. So I wish Lori Lightfoot if we would head in that direction. Uh, I absolutely agree with the uh, the listener on that point. Once again, head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show. Take it away, Ben. All right. Very good, Marie uh, Newman. And why don't you take an uh, opportunity just to sort of reintroduce yourself to folks here. Tell sure. people a little bit about yourself. This, of course, is the second time, your second bite of the apple, as they say. You ran in tw- uh, 2018. But talk about uh, your background before you got involved in politics. Sure. So um, you all might remember that I ran in 18 against Dan Lipinski in the Democratic primary. We came within 2% of unseating. When I say we, it was me and the district working really hard together. Um, but my background, going back all the way is a combination of marketing and management consulting. I've owned my own small business for several years. Uh, I was a nonprofit leader. I uh, conceived and ran a national nonprofit program called Team Up to Stop Bullying. I also have been an advocate for uh, for common sense gun safety for probably 25 years with two different organizations, Million Mom March and Moms Demand Action. I was the Illinois spokesperson. Going back all the way, I've always been a uh, immigrants' rights, um, both supporter, advocate, and volunteer. I had my own small uh, program when I was 14. I did an immigrants' homeless uh, meals program. Uh, I have been worked on legislation for both common sense gun safety, um, health care rights, economic rights, as well as um, uh, anti-bullying laws. So I have worked on the legislative side, the advocacy side, volunteered my entire life, and then uh, the things that paid the bills were uh, marketing and management consulting. All right, and the third congressional district, give people a little view of where it is exactly. Yeah, so it is a sprawling, Rorschach test-looking kind of district, as they all are, right? So we start out by White Sox Park in Bridgeport, and we kind of follow 55 and Archer all the way out to the top of Joliet. That makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it makes political sense when yeah. we get to drawing maps in, mm-hmm. in the state of Illinois. Well, not, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. Illinois, uh, throughout the country, right. any state, right, uh, right. there are political needs. Uh, and so it, let's get to that, the political needs of the incumbent, Dan Lipinski. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first time we met, first time we were in the show, I reminisced about all the old stories I wrote about the Lipinski machine. Dan yeah. Lipinski, of course, inherited uh, his seat from his father, right. William Lipinski. Uh, right a legendary Chicago Democratic ward boss from the Southwest side. In what ways do you think that district was shaped to meet the needs of Dan Lipinski? I think in every way, right? So um, in after the last census, census in uh, 2010, going then applied to the 2012 uh, electorate, um, I think it was very clear that Dan 
picked and choose what he wanted. He tried to make it a more conservative district, which is literally impossible (laughs) because the electorate in Illinois has changed and we are a much more um, open and progressive and liberal uh, state of affairs now. So um, it was really hard for him to pick and choose, but um, lucky for Luis Gutierrez at the time, Luis got all of these fabulous areas that were very deeply blue. Um, But sadly for Dan um, and great for me (laughs) is that all of those uh, areas that were maybe slightly purple are now deeply blue. And so he's in a pickle, right? Um, so uh, we have a district that went to 8%, uh, or Bernie took it by 8% in the 2016 primary. Hillary took it by um, 15 points in the general. Um we are a solidly in alignment, and I know this, I've done 209 meet and greets. We are solidly in alignment, uh, myself and the district, um, on almost every issue. So um, Dan's in a pickle. Uh, Dan is in a pickle. Dan Lipinski yeah. is in a pickle, but he was in a pickle last time, lost uh, by two percentage points. Yeah. I don't think I've talked to you since uh, that election. When you, when you look back on what went down in 2018, what do you think the difference was? Uh, to make the two percentage points? I think there was three big buckets um, that affected uh, that race. So um, first time candidates learn a lot. I learned a lot. There's things that I just did wrong, right? You know, um, I'm accountable. I don't think I placed enough emphasis on field or understood it well enough. So in between both both, uh, campaigns, 2018 to now, I hopped on 12 other races um, as a volunteer so I could, you know, knock more doors, work with community leaders, and be really deeply immersed and entrenched in Illinois my three, even more so than I had been. I mean, I've lived here my whole life, but, um, and worked hard during the campaign, but allowed me to do a lot more. So we went from a um, precinct captain model of 23 precinct captains to 200 in that time. So we have an amazing uh, field structure now. I have 2,000 volunteers. There was probably right around 1,000 to 1,300 last time. Um, so my my volunteer base, and we've also, um, the, the good folks in the Indivisible Movement have developed a coalition called the Coalition for Change in Illinois 3, um, is an amazing group of 3,000 folks. So we have these volunteer bases that or kind of make it a Senate size race at the end of the day. So that was one big change. Field is very robust now and strong. Um, we started fundraising earlier. I started fundraising in the middle of February. Um, last time I started in May. So we have a lot more in the bank, which is very helpful in a race where, because I don't take corporate money, I don't take uh, pharmaceutical money, fossil fuel, any of that. I don't take lobbyist money. I don't take any bad money, right? So our average donation is $46 per donation. Dan's is like, I don't know, 1800 or something uh, crazy like that. So we, um, we fundraised a lot better this time. And then lastly, the message, what kept getting um, shuttled and scuttled, I say, is last time was my economic message. I have run businesses. I've run national coalitions. I've built um, national nonprofit models. I've rolled out national programs. Dan's never done any of that. He's never been a job creator. Um, and he hasn't created one job in the district. He hasn't brought one federal dollar to the district. So we are go- talking almost exclusively about the income divide because I believe that will solve other problems. If we solve income inequality, a lot of things will get better quickly. If we pass paid leave, universal child care, raise wages, uh, Medicare for all, 
all of those economic solutions, you know, uh, give uh, students tuition debt relief, all of those economic solutions will make everybody's life better and we can keep addressing things. So for me, um, about, the third piece is about messaging. Make sure that everybody understands that I am living and breathing 24-7, 365, all day long, um, addressing income inequality, the income divide. So we call that making your life more affordable. All right. Now, uh, in addition to these issues that you distinguish yourself from uh, Congresswoman Lipinski on, the big one uh, is reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. uh, in that last election in 2018, you made it clear uh, that you were you believed in a woman's right to choose. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dan Lipinski is perhaps the most conservative uh, anti-abortion uh, congressman on the Democratic side of things. And, and I know that in that district, uh, the uh, anti-abortion factions sent in volunteers going door to door uh, on Dan Lipinski's behalf. Do you think that swung the district against you, uh, that particular issue? I think that there was not one thing singularly, if I'm being honest, Ben, I think there's probably like 30 things that happened um, in the last three weeks, because we were up about three points going into the last two weeks of the campaign. So um, there were a lot of machine dirty tricks among them saying uh, uh, not afternoon appropriate things at the doors. Um, there were um, texts that went out that were um, vile and hurt my husband, my child, and my mother, quite frankly, that were vile. Um, and so... Um, the machine dirty tricks had an effect. Um, certainly the crazy kooky ads with me being a terrorist and a criminal and all that kooky stuff, which I didn't care about. It was the stuff on the ground that was really the bad stuff. But suppression of the vote, for sure. The machine is, you know, really did everything that they normally do and more so. Um, and then he flew in these um, anti-choice folks that did some things that were absolutely vile and predatory at the doors. Um, so I've got to believe that um, smart people at the doors um, this time will help people understand that um, don't listen to these. If it sounds cuckoo, it's probably cuckoo, right? You know, um, and we're being very thoughtful about our election protection process this time. We have an election protection committee on the campaign. We have dozens of lawyers working on this um, and we are prepared for um, GOTV and uh, poll watching as well as the day of. And uh, I will not have this election stolen from me, just period. All right, we'll talk about the hardball tactics. Again, as I said earlier, uh, the first thing I said uh, to Marie when I first met her way back when was, you don't know what you're going up against when you go against the Lipinski machine. And I, you probably know way more than I do uh, <laughs> by now, uh, having done that already. Uh, but let's just talk again. So you're not going to make take the stance that some Democrats have done where with their, if they're attacked for being uh, too much pro-choice to go the other way uh, and abandon your principles? Are you sticking to your uh, pro-choice? Oh, no, I'm 100% pro-choice. Okay. What I'm saying is, is that what I'm hearing in the 209 meet and greets, their priority is income inequality and me, me making life more affordable through legislation that I would pass. Okay. And we are addressing their needs. Anybody, uh, it is very clear I'm 100% choice. It is clear that I'm 100% equality. Um, one of the other big issues in our district is immigration. And we are letting everybody know what Dan's real record is on um, immigration. And it's not just that he voted against the uh, DREAM Act, that he went down to the border about, it's two, three months ago now. Um, he was interviewed by the Tribune and Fox News. Mm -hmm. And he came back and said, the first thing out of his mouth, they said, you know, generally, uh, Congressman, you know, what are your thoughts? And said, gosh, I'm so worried about the Border Patrol agents. First thing out of his mouth and nothing else. Then asked and pressed, um, you know, what did you think about the conditions? Oh, not that bad. 
So he saw what we saw, Ben, right, is that what we see when we see folks at the border every single time in those detention camps. He saw people sleeping, standing up, uh, shoulder to shoulder, because there's no room to sleep in the cages, in the cages, I underlined four times, um, that there is, you know, there's health epidemics down there, that um, there's no diapers, there's not enough water, there's not enough food, and the lights are on all damn day and night. Um, he saw the same exact things, and he came back and said, it's not that bad. Right there, let's take away all of his horrible history, history of, um, you know, voting against Obamacare and um, continuing to vote against um, the interests of people in his district in every way. But that is disqualifying because that tells me intellectually and emotionally you don't understand what a huge problem that is and how it is the antithesis of the American way what's happening at the border right now. So that's and, disqualifying. And do you think uh, voters in the third will... Uh respond to to that message I, they already are i mean look i've i not only have i had the 209 meet and greets but i have been all over the district i've been in every precinct there's 500 precincts mm -hmm. several times already i know what's going on on the ground dan does not because he doesn't go on the ground <laughs> um marie newman is my guest she's running for congress in the third congressional district she's a democrat let me just point that out as a democratic primary <laughs> that's right uh dan lipinski is the most conservative democrat in congress i believe we all everybody agrees i think dan lipinski uh, would agree with that as well sure uh, in addition to his uh stance on immigration issues that marie's pointing out uh he's vociferously against a woman's right to choose has always been uh, and he would be proud of it he would say, yes, I am against a woman's right to choose against reproductive rights. So if that's your driving issue, one way or the other, you know who to vote for one way or the other in this uh, election, no doubt about it. You would agree with me on that point, Marie. Yeah, no, and, and look, in the district, it's really clear um, that uh, the progressive platform and the Democratic platform is overwhelmingly what people want. All right. When we come back, we'll take a break. We come back. We'll talk impeachment. We'll talk uh, hardball, uh, Southwest side politics. I may even throw in a Nancy Pelosi question from, from Marie. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. No, it sounds infuriating because at least we get to have the truth, right? At least we should have the truth. One of the things that undergirds this process is integrity. And to say that you have offered a proposal that respects what we are asking for, to say that you've bent over backwards and it's the same proposal, not even less than what's in there now, it's absolutely ridiculous. The mayor says that the school district is still digging itself out of a physical hole. I mean, are you guys recognizing that the district still has financial problems? Let's talk about money. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about the billion dollars of extra revenue that they're getting from the state of Illinois. Let's talk about that. Because that billion dollars is supposed to lower class size. That billion dollars is supposed to provide bilingual education supports. That billion dollars is supposed to provide us with nurses and social workers and counselors. That's what it's supposed to do. And it's awfully interesting to me that every time it comes to giving our students what they need in the Chicago Public Schools, which is a school district of 90% students of color, which is a school district that serves low-income students, that we talk about money. We don't talk about money when we build playgrounds for the wealthy in Lincoln Park, which is one of the richest neighborhoods in the entire world, billions of dollars. Look around us right now. Count how many buildings down here were built with taxpayer money. That's right. Count them. And then we're here begging and pleading. You saw our counselor last night crying for resources for our students. And we are in one of the richest cities 
when one of the richest countries in the whole world, where taxpayers have subsidized the development of skyscrapers, but cannot give black children on the south side a lower class size. Next question. Speaking of percentages, what percentages of affordable housing aren't in a city ordinance right now? Speaking of percentages, how many black people still live in this city and, and can't live here reasonably because the city tore down all of the affordable housing and the mayor said that one of the pillars of her administration would be to deal with poverty, would to be uh, to deal with equity, to make sure that people had an affordable place to live. This isn't about today. Contracts represent a vision of the future. Um, it, it represents where we're going, not where we are currently. And so if we're going to build a city that responds to equity, that responds to justice, that responds to all of what she promised us, then this contract, as we have presented it to them for the last 10 months, we should not be talking about a strike. We should be talking about a settlement. We should be having a celebratory press conference and moving the city forward. It sounds like you're trying to dictate some public policy. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a mother. I am invested in Chicago. Voters in this city call shots. Taxpayers in this city call shots. They call shots for these buildings down here. They call shots for that wealthy playground in Lincoln Park. We get to call shots for our public schools. You're absolutely right. This is not an autocracy. This is a democracy. People made a vote because she said that she was going to transform. We are holding her accountable. Next question. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Benny J, take us home. <laughs> Marie Newman in the studio with me. She's running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional. I, I don't know if that will be there for our downloaders, but Dennis just played uh, some uh, a tape of Stacey Davis Gates, and I love it. She's <laughs> on a roll. She's at that press conference. Next question. All right. Stacey's all fired up. Uh, Marie Newman, we were talking about your uh, your second time around. You're running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District against Dan Lipinski. One more time, Dan Lipinski is a Democrat, but he's the most conservative Democrat uh, uh, in Congress, and uh, so we're gonna. This is really a test case. Can the third congressional district elect somebody who's a little uh, more liberal than, like, basically a Republican? Uh, <laughs> let's just call it for what it is. Basically, uh, a Republican, and uh, be interesting test. Marie Newman came with. Did you say two percentage points yeah. in two, 2018? Now, uh, one thing that's different this time around. There's a couple other candidates uh, mm -hmm. running who've announced. We'll see if they actually file and go forth with it. Uh, have you? taking that into consideration yeah we have we have contingency plans for any model right so um first let's see if those uh two individuals get on the ballot actually get on the ballot that remains to be seen um the second thing is is that if one of them makes it to the ballot and we sense that only one of them will um that in fact we have lots of uh strategies around that so i'm not particularly worried if there's a third person on the ballot all right. Uh, let's talk about the hardball uh, that uh, the Lipinski organization will throw at you. What are you expecting? You know, I think it'll be more of the same. I think that Dan didn't learn his lesson that um, all of the people on the ground and in the parishes and all that didn't like what he called me and what he said about me and what he did to me. They all found it vile. Um, he will probably try some of the same things that everything from um, underhanded tricks, uh, walking door to door, um, doing this typical machine uh, suppression tactics. Um, my name wasn't on the ballot in 20 of the precincts. Um, there were um, all kinds of uh, vile things said at the doors by the Susan B. Anthony people. Uh, they flew in a bunch of young women from um, a couple of uh, Christian colleges and said vile things at the door about me. 
um, and really scared and were very predatory to uh, people in the wards. And that was really depraved, I think. Um, he sent out um, horrifying texts about me being a Holocaust denier. And just for the record, my husband's Jewish. <laughs> so it was particularly disgusting. Um, my, you know, they sent out another um, several thousand texts saying that I was anti-Catholic and I wanted to jail nuns. Well, first of all, I have a great aunt that was a nun, um, and my mom says the rosary every day. So, you know, really. Wow. <laughs> so they hit you uh, for being a Holocaust denier and being anti-Catholic. Yeah, I mean, They're they were covering all yeah, bases. It was there. like <laughs> a bunch of spaghetti at the wall, and whatever stuck, stuck. And obviously, things stuck, right? Um, so they put on a full force effort. Um, and, and there's things that aren't repeatable too. They, he said some things about my daughter that were reprehensible. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, he tried everything. Um, and when I say he, he knew all about this. So when he does this whole, well, oh, the independent expenditure, no, he knew everything he did. What, what do you mean independent expenditure? Independent expenditure is when a super back comes in and, um, and funds things. So like they funded the Susan Beanie Anthony and the no labels volunteers that sent out all the texts and did all the super dirty ads and did the things things on the ground. So he had to fly in people to help him because he didn't have enough volunteers. Explain to people Susan B. Anthony uh, and, and what that group is. Yeah, Susan B. Anthony is an organization that they call themselves pro-life, but we all know they're anti-choice because um, they don't believe in anything, that you know that a woman can't do anything. Like she has no choices whatsoever, whether it's birth control or whatever. So, um, so that's problematic. Um, no Labels is another organization that Dan is very tied to that's uh, pretty disgusting. They go after after, um, they claim to be nonpartisan, um, but in reality, they're very partisan. They, you know, it, it's the ultimate in uh, lacking transparency. They say they're nonpartisan and they help uh, moderates. Well, they only help moderate Republicans. Let's be very clear on that. Um, and Dan happened to fit that definition, even though he happens to be in the Democratic Party. So no labels did a lot of super horrifying things on the ground. And then add in the machine um, with suppression tactics uh, the week before um, polls went open on uh, March uh, 20th last year. Um, or sorry, was it March 20th? Yeah, I think it was March 20th, um, 2018. Um and, you know, on the day of, um, just all the super thuggy things that they do on the ground. And I think he'll try all that again. So the bad news for Dan is everybody's well aware of the alliance with uh, No Labels and Susan B. Anthony. So everybody's going to be on the lookout for it. Um, everybody's well aware he said some absolutely depraved and vile things about my family and me. Um, I think everybody's going to be on the lookout. So the good news is, is that we know what's coming. We know what be to, to be prepared for. We know that he will plant crazy stories that I'm a terrorist or a criminal or whatever I am. Um, and we know that's coming. So we're ready. All right. Uh, you said your name was not on the ballot in 20 precincts. Yeah, we got we got phone calls from 20 different precincts for a variety. Now, some of them were on the fringe, and this is a common thing that happens that is just like more of a boo-boo than anything else. It, it does have nothing to do with the, either campaign. It's that sometimes they um, don't get all of the correct ballots on those uh, precincts that are on the fringe of the district on the borderline. So sometimes there are just boo-boos that um, in precincts where um, someone's name doesn't make it to the ballot because of printing issues or whatever whatever um that i'm less worried about but when it's in the heart of the district mm. <laughs> in the middle of the district are you kidding me? i just have a quick question were there any quote-unquote boo-boos uh that impacted dan lipinski i don't know uh, isn't that interesting that the boo-boos i can't speak to that <laughs> yeah i've been covering politics a long time marie newman i've never heard of a boo-boo ever affecting an incumbent yeah uh but uh we made a little mistake in these fringe yeah. precincts but they're only screwed over marie newman uh i guarantee you those boo-boos won't happen once if you are elected and you are the incumbent. Oh. Uh, look what's going on in the southwest side right now um the amount of raids and uh 
whether it's Ed Burke uh, having 23 federal indictments or all of these raids, what likely are going to go somewhere, right? Um, I got to tell you, I'm ready to clean, sweep, scrub, and hose out the garage on the southwest side. Yeah. On oh, the southwest side, uh, there's so many investigations, so many politics. We talk a lot about it on the show. Yeah. We have different reporters coming. We just had, uh, had Dan Mialopoulos from WBZ. Yeah, he's doing a great job, by the way. Yep. And uh, so we've been talking he's a, meticulous. a lot about that. And also, some some uh, what went down in the 13th Ward. I know, uh, it, I know you know love lost for the... Um, uh, for uh, the the kid who ran against uh, Marty Quinn for Alderman mm-hmm. of the 13th Ward. Uh, but uh, the, Michael Madigan was overkill, in my humble opinion, in terms of a hardball, yeah. trying to keep that kid off the ballot uh, any way he could. All right, uh, let's talk about something else uh, that's a near and dear to my heart these days, the impeachment process. And uh, let's say you were Congresswoman Marie Newman and you were sitting in Washington. What would your stand on impeachment be? Impeach. Just right now. Yeah, I would do it right now. But um, but yes, let's do the inquiry. <laughs> yes, yeah. let's impeach him right now. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, we have to whatever. physically see the documented proof. <laughs> obviously, we have to go through the process, but um, and then develop the articles after the process is done. So, you know, I mean, let's be you know, we do have to go through the process, but uh-huh. um, we have a lot of evidence. I mean, it, this is not a hard one, right? Um, so when, Dan, when Dan stood out for the longest time and wouldn't get into this, I was like, are you kidding me? What, what's, what's the problem? Has there? he signed on to the inquiry? He did. Yet? He, he ultimately did. He was one of the very last ones. But very yeah. one last uh, Democrats. Yeah. Very okay. last Democrats. Yeah, I don't think any Republicans have signed on to the impeachment inquiry. Yeah. Uh, have you been following the news that's been coming out lately, uh, about William Taylor and his, uh, testimony, yeah. his Ukraine, uh, the, wow. the envoy to wow. Ukraine. Yeah. 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 Okay. If we didn't know before. <laughs> flat out extortion, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It's not even a quid pro quo. It's yeah. flat out extortion. Yeah. Uh, so That's you, correct. Uh, thank you, uh, Mueller. Uh, so uh, you would absolutely support an impeachment. All right. Very good. Now, the other issue, of course, is what I call the Nancy Pelosi issue. Let me explain. She's Speaker of the House. Uh, I have generally been supportive of Nancy Pelosi in keeping uh, Democrats together, uh, more or less, as they deal with Donald Trump uh, and try to have uh, one voice uh, and, and, and how to uh, uh, proceed with impeachment. All right, so I know it's a very difficult job. I get a lot of criticism from my uh, listeners on the left who think I should be more critical of Nancy Pelosi, but I think she's done a pretty good job of keeping mm-hmm. the party more or less together. On the other hand, where I am critical of Nancy Pelosi uh, is like many leaders, uh, speakers, uh, it's all about protecting her incumbents. Mm-hmm. And she's made it clear that she's going to stand by her incumbents regardless. So she right. endorsed uh, Lipinski. Is she endorsing him again this time around? You know, we haven't heard that she specifically has endorsed him. Others in the party have endorsed him. And then obviously the DCCC has endorsed him. Yeah. Okay. And the DCCC, uh, the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, mm-hmm. how to did I get that out? Uh, uh, the, the, the brain is still working to some degree. Has a bizarre policy, which I've talked about on the show, where they are punishing uh, consultants and strategists mm-hmm. who work against, like work on your campaign, for instance, mm-hmm. against an incumbent. Has Have you experienced uh, or any of your strategists or aides experienced any of this retribution? We did. We had consultants that I had put my consultant team together very early in February and March because we wanted to get ahead of the game, right? Um, so we were all ready in March and chugging along. I had uh, the best and the brightest, right? And uh, there are five consultants uh, working on the campaign because there's a lot of work to be done in a campaign. Campaign is a very uh, intricate, sophisticated thing. And um 
two of them, and then probably the two most important ones, uh, pollster and media consultant, um, started getting threats from the DCCC that we are going to, unless you, they were being blacklisted effectively, unless you get off of Marie Newman's campaign, you will never um, work on another DCCC candidate. You will not get any DCCC business. You will not ever uh, report numbers on the Capitol floor. You will um, not be allowed to work on any um, nonprofits or political movements associated with anything in Democratic politics. I mean, it got very ugly. So ultimately, two of those um, consultants had to drop off the campaign. That cost an enormous amount of money. It was extremely expensive for my campaign. Why was it expensive for your campaign? We had to throw out all that work and start over. So the reality was is that so we had all of these um, these great folks on there and then they moved on. Well, uh, you know, we had agreements with them in a wide variety of things. There was a lot of work that we started on. Well, then we had a big gap in time, so I had to find new ones. Well, that was very hard to do. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it took me another six to eight weeks to replace them because we went through two or three rounds of people saying yes, and then they got bullied mm-hmm. and threatened. And so it was really in total probably seven or eight uh, consultants that we um, got, you know, people started with us and then stopped and started. So it was very expensive. We got everybody back on the bus. We're up and over and beyond it. Um, and I did have a very respectful conversation with the chairman of the DCCC and said, look, let's let's get past this and be respectful because we both have to dump Trump together. Um, and I am going to win this thing. I'm just letting you know right now. Um, so let's be kind and respectful to one another. I have a hard time they're going to stand by that if you were victorious. In other words, the way it works in Illinois politics, uh, generally with Michael Madigan, for instance, is if, if you're an incumbent member of his caucus mm-hmm. and uh let's say nick over here challenges mm-hmm. nick, uh incumbent michael madigan will throw everything he has to protect the incumbent and to defeat to defeat nick right if nick is victorious the next day michael joseph madigan will take nick out for lunch you're now part of my team what can i do to help you right okay you know what i'm saying it's all the punishment ends when they bring them in right it's it's that's the chicago mentality of the machine mentality you get what i'm saying so they make it's so funny the machine mentality of chicago has been transplanted into the brains of operatives in washington who run the d uh, triple c whatever it is do you follow what i'm saying yeah no and here's so here's what i say is that um because i have been on this earth a good bit and i'm a parent and i have worked in a lot of coalitions that involve thousands of people and it's very hard to herd cats so i have empathy with the leadership of the d triple c here's what's important is that we have to dump trump so let's put all that behind us i could care less Let's move on from that. I'm still going to win this thing. So, you know, don't test me. (laughs) I will win this. And so, but we are going to work together and we're going to be kind and respectful to each other. And by the way, the leadership of the DCCC agreed. Um, So we are going to be kind and respectful and we are going to move forward and we're going to forget about all that nonsense. All right. Very good. Marie Newman is her name. You want to uh, give out uh, any information? Sure. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, It's Marie Newman for Congress.com. If you want to volunteer for the campaign, just click on volunteer. We'd love to have you. Um, If you ever want to talk to us, you can hit us with uh, the question on the info line. And uh, we'd love to have you on the campaign. So, again, Marie Newman for Congress.com. Have a great day, guys. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Marie Newman. Also want to thank the great Levante Stewart, who was in the studio, the Pride and Joy of South Shore. I was here a little earlier. Pat Whalen was here as well, uh, breaking down all the Trump tweets and all the Trump news of the day. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, behind the board. Back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 
no one calls me that. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. We also live stream the program. At Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook Live. Once again, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Make sure to go to the Facebook page. Let us know your thoughts on Lightfoot's budget address. We may be reading more of your comments on tomorrow's program. That's correct.